Let's pray. Father, it is so sweet uh, to sing of Christ. Lord, all of our hope in life and in death is bound up in your Son. Our joy, every promise of your word, everything for us is tied to him. And so, Lord, we ask that you would help us this morning to see him in a clearer light. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes to behold wonderful things in your word. And, Lord, that you would accomplish in our hearts this morning the softening, Lord, the miraculous work that only you can do to change us, to open the eyes of our hearts, to see and behold the all-compassionate Jesus Christ, and to run to Him as your sons and daughters, and to find in Him our merciful and gracious, compassionate High Priest. Lord, I pray also that you would work in the hearts of anyone here today who has never come to Christ, Lord, that they would see in Jesus the Messiah, the Savior, the One to meet their greatest need. And Lord, we ask for all of this that you would be glorified. Help us, Lord, we pray. It's in Christ's name. Amen. All right, well, I invite you to turn in your Bibles, and I'm turning there with you, to the Gospel of Mark. Mark chapter 1. This morning we come to the end of the chapter. So by the end of this morning, we'll be one-sixteenth of the way through the Gospel of Mark. Amen. It's been a really wonderful study for me. That's the benefit of being the preacher, is I get to spend the whole week in this passage. And it has been so good for me just to see the Lord, to be with the Lord in the Gospel of Mark. Well, our focus is on verses 40 to 45 this morning. And my goal really is to convince you, I think it's the goal of this text, is to convince you that Jesus is not only able to save the worst sinners, but that he is eager and willing to do so. For some of you, I want you to see that your doubts, your suspicions about Jesus' compassion towards a sinner as bad as you, I hope that you see that those doubts, those questions, are absolutely unfounded. You may be here this morning, you think all these people around you have it together. Uh, you think, well, yeah, it would be easy for Jesus to love these people. Look at them. They're all together in their suits and ties and all of that. And you think, there's no hope for me. Jesus could never love someone like me. None of these people know how wicked I have been. They don't know how many skeletons are in my closet. Well, my hope for you this morning is as we look at Jesus you will see that Jesus is a compassionate, merciful Savior. And that there is no sinner who exceeds or ever has exceeded the bounds of Jesus' compassion. For others of you, you have sinned grievously this week against your wife, against your kids, your parents, first and foremost against God. 
And I want you to see that your doubts, that God could forgive you for what you've done, that those also are completely unfounded. I want you to see from this text that you, if you are in Christ, should have absolute and utter confidence that Jesus is able and willing to love you as a repentant sinner. And for all of us, I want us to see that the willingness and the ability, the willingness and the ability of Jesus to meet the sinner's greatest need should cause us all to come more boldly to Him in prayer, to have more confidence in Him as our high priest. You are sinners, and so am I. And I know when you sin that you hesitate to come before Him. I know that because I do the same thing. Our tendency is to hide. We, we make fig leaves, right? Our parents did that in the very beginning. And we've been doing it ever since. But I want all of us this morning to look at Jesus and see Him in these verses and come away with more confidence that He loves you than maybe you've ever been. I want to show you that Jesus has not lost an ounce of compassion and tenderness towards sinners like you in the 2,000 years since he walked this earth. All right, that's my hope. Let me put it in a word. My hope is that as a result of being in these six verses, that you would be filled with a renewed confidence in God and that you would possess a greater love for Jesus, Jesus who is both willing and able. So if you would stand with me. Mark chapter 1, we'll begin reading in verse 40. And I don't need to tell you that I have the sniffles. You will see me sniffling. So please forgive me. All right, Mark 1, verse 40. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him, and saying, If you are willing... You can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away. And he said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go, show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas and they were coming to him from everywhere. You may be seated. Well, As you see in your notes, I've outlined this passage under three headings. First, the question of Jesus' willingness. That's verse 40. Second, the proof of his willingness. And third, the result of his willingness. And my ambition, as I said, is for you to see that Jesus is not only able, we know he's able, but that he's willing, willing to meet your greatest need. So let's start by looking at verse 40, where we see the question of Jesus' willingness. Right away, we're introduced to a man who comes up to Jesus, 
falls on his knees and pleads with Jesus to be healed. Mark doesn't tell us where they were when this happened, but we know from verse 38 that Jesus had left uh, Capernaum and he was going on a preaching tour throughout the region of Galilee. So somewhere along the way, this man comes to Jesus. And all we're told about him is that he was a leper. And Luke tells us in the parallel account that this man was covered with leprosy or full of leprosy, which tells us that this was a very serious case of leprosy. Now, for Mark's original audience, that's all they needed to know in order to see the gravity of this exchange between Jesus and the leper. All they needed to know was that this man was a leper. Because in the ancient world, leprosy, of all diseases, was the most dreaded and feared. And this man likely has the most serious form of leprosy. The word leprosy literally means scaly or rough. And it was an apt name for the disease because the person with leprosy would, would have skin that resembled that of a snake because of the dryness, because of the, the boils and all the things that would be on the leper. It made them look terrible. And the most serious form of leprosy, though, was a disease called Hansen's disease. And that's how we know it today. It's a type of leprosy that was present in the ancient world and still is around today. And it's most likely that the man in verse 40 had what we know as Hansen's disease. I want to tell you a little bit about this disease so that you can see really how grave the situation is. This type of leprosy, the way that it worked, was a um, bacterial infection that attacked the nervous system and effectively shut it down. All sense of pain, feeling, totally gone. The person with Hansen's disease would lose all sense of touch and pain, so essentially their extremities, their limbs would go numb. They would lose their fingers, toes, limbs, and because... Without the the warning system of pain, they wouldn't know that they were literally sometimes rubbing their nose off. One person I read this week wrote about Hansen's disease in villages in Africa and Asia. This is one of the blessings of being a pastor. You get to read about Hansen's disease all week. This guy, he wrote about Hansen's disease in villages in Africa and Asia where men and women would be cooking over an open fire. And the you know, potato would fall in the fire. And they would reach in and grab the potato. They told of uh, workers in India with this disease who would work all day with splintered shovels and, and nails protruding out of the shovel handles. And they would work all day with no sense of pain. They would <clears throat> extinguish burning candles with their bare hands, walk on splintered grass, walk on the gravel road barefooted. Now, they do that in Mississippi. My wife's from Mississippi. Um, but they don't have Hansen's disease there. But they would do all of this with no sense of pain. Commenting on this situation, the guy wrote, the daily routines of life ground away at the patient's hands and feet. But no warning system alerts them. 
If an ankle turned, now this is a little graphic. If an ankle turned, tearing tendon and muscle, he would adjust and walk crooked for the rest of his life. If a rat chewed off a finger in the night, he would not discover it missing until the next morning. And can you imagine? It's a terrible disease. It actually gets worse. In his commentary on Matthew, William Hendrickson wrote this about Hansen's disease. The disease, which we t- today call leprosy or Hansen's disease, generally begins with pain in certain areas of the body. Numbness follows. Soon the skin in such spots loses its original color. It gets to be thick, glossy, and scaly. As the sickness progresses, the thickened spots become dirty. Sores and ulcers emerge due to poor blood supply. The skin, especially around the eye and ears, begins to bunch and deep furrows between the swellings so that the face of the afflicted individual begins to resemble that of a lion. Fingers drop off or are absorbed. Toes are affected similarly. Eyebrows and eyelashes drop out. By this time, one can see that the person in this pitiable condition is a leper. By a touch of the finger, one can also feel it. One can even smell it, for the leper emits a very unpleasant odor. Moreover, in the view of the fact that the disease-producing agent frequently also attacks the voice box, the leper's voice acquires a grating quality. His throat becomes hoarse. You can now only... You can now not only feel, see, and smell the leper, but you can recognize his voice. And if you stay with him for any length of time, you even begin to imagine a peculiar taste in your mouth, probably due to the leper's odor. All the senses of the healthy person are engaged in the detection of the leper. It's no surprise then that to be diagnosed with leprosy was essentially a death sentence. It made you a pariah in society. The seriousness of leprosy in this world uh, was addressed by the Lord in the book of Leviticus. In Leviticus 13, uh, 45 to 46, God gives strict instructions on how to handle someone with leprosy. Listen to these instructions. Just imagine this man's plight. The leprous person, this is Leviticus 13.45, the leprous person who has the disease shall wear torn clothes and let the hair of his head hang loose. He shall cover his upper lip and cry out, unclean, unclean. He shall remain unclean as as long as he has the disease. He is unclean. He shall live alone. His dwelling shall be outside the camp. You see why it was a death sentence to have leprosy. In order to preserve society, the leper had to go out. He had to adopt the posture of a mourner, mourning his own death, essentially. And he had to cry out for everyone to hear, unclean, unclean. One commentator said that the leper's existence was nothing more than a living death. Unless there was a quick remission of the disease, the victim of clinical leprosy knew that his condition would be of lengthy duration and that its loathsome nature would prohibit significant contact with all of society. 
Most of all, the leper would be cut off from spiritual fellowship with the covenant people of God. So in a real sense, this commentator said, he would be without hope and without God in the world. Now, that is a sad situation. It's almost inconceivable, really, for us to think of a more pitiful sight than this leper. And he was actually required by rabbinic law to stay 50 paces away from society, at least. But that's not what our leper does in Mark 1.40. Something happened to this man uh, to give him the audacity, the courage, the boldness to throw off all the Levitical rules, all the rabbinical instructions... And here he comes, boldly running up to Jesus. And in verse 40, Mark stacks verb on top of verb to describe the way this leper approaches the Lord. He comes to Jesus, which would have been a shock in itself. He calls out to Jesus. It's the word parakaleo, which means to call someone to your side. It's a call for help. Help me, Jesus. And then he falls on his knees. It's vivid. Mark is very vivid. You see the scene unfold. And with a raspy leper's voice, he calls out, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Now, imagine. What do we know about Jesus at this point in Galilee? Everyone is flocking to him. Right? So you're, you have Jesus, in. Luke tells us that he's in a town where this leper has come into the town. Crowds would have been around them. And just imagine the scene. Here is this pitiful man. You can see him, smell him. You know immediately that he is a leper. And here's the crowd. And as he approaches, this, the crowd splits like a school of fish. And, Je- and the leper falls down right in front of Jesus. And he says... If you are willing, you can make me clean. Everyone in the crowd certainly is looking and saying, how dare this leper come this close, not only to Jesus, but to all of us. It would have been offensive for them. They would have looked at this man. It would have been much worse than sneezing on someone during a pandemic. All right, They would have looked at this man and said, how dare you come this close to Jesus? How dare you come this close to us? What are you doing? Get out of here. I mean, imagine, this is what Jesus' disciples did when the little children came to Jesus. They said, get out of here. Imagine what they did with this man. Imagine what they're thinking. But we don't know any of that. We can just deduce it. And the man comes and he says, if you are willing, Jesus, you can make me clean. Notice, he doesn't doubt Jesus' ability. Look at the text. He says, if you are willing, you can make me clean. You are able to do this. I know you can do it. He's not doubting Jesus' capacity or power. He knows all that Jesus has done in Capernaum, throughout Galilee. He knows all of this. What is he questioning here? His willingness. If you are willing... My, his confidence, rather, in Jesus' capacity and power was through the roof. It, it emboldened him to break all societal norms, even break the Levitical law, to come before Jesus. 
But his question was one of Jesus' heart. Will Jesus help this man? He's unsure that Jesus will have the pity, the compassion to meet his greatest need. And friends, it's, it's so easy to make that application to where we are today. Some of you are here. And you're here, and you know Jesus is God, He's the Savior, He's powerful, He died on the cross for sinners, but you're sitting here, and you've sat here for 20 years maybe, and you sit there and you think, I know He can, but I'm just different than all of them. You doubt His willingness, you doubt His heart towards you as a sinner, because you know how wicked you are. And you look at us and you think, oh, and they don't know. You can put on a show, you can put on your, you know, your happy face and come here. And, and you tell yourself, Jesus is powerful, but he's not quite willing. He's not compassionate enough. To meet my need. Friends, that is ridiculous. That is ridiculous. Jesus, his heart overflows with compassion towards sinners. And that's what I'm going to show you in this text. So hang in there. You, your question is, how will Jesus handle someone as wicked as me? Right, that's, I, you're here this morning, and that's the question. How will Jesus handle my sin? How will Jesus handle my wickedness? Well, that's the question we want to address next. Let's look, secondly, at the proof of Jesus' willingness. What's he going to do with this leper? And what will he do with you? Well, look at verse 41. Jesus looks at this man. The crowd's looking on. And what does the text say? He was moved with compassion. Moved with compassion. That means that he was moved with a pity that inclined him to show mercy towards this leper. In Greek, the phrase moved with compassion or pity is a single word. It's a powerful verb that refers to being moved to the core of one's being, to your bowels, to your entrails. Right, it's, it's moved to the core. And Jesus here is so gripped by this man's pitiful condition and he's moved to act for his behalf, on his behalf to fix his problem. And that, friends, I want you to see that. That is the very heart of Jesus. This is just a small microcosm of Jesus' heart. This is just a small example of the heart that Jesus has towards the vilest people on earth. He looks at the leper's plight and he cannot help but be moved to come to his aid, regardless of the cost to him. Look at verse 41. Compassion compels him to activity, and so Jesus stretches out his hand, and in an unthinkable act of kindness, he touched this man. And he said to him, I am willing, be clean. This is amazing. 
ever since this man had been diagnosed with leprosy. He had never been touched. Jesus could have healed him with a word. He could have said, be clean. Now stay 50 feet away from me. Right? That's probably what we would have done. Um, but Jesus doesn't do that. He could have, but he doesn't. He touches him. Ever since this man was diagnosed with leprosy, no one had touched him. Usually leprosy takes years to progress, probably to uh, the form that it was at now with this man. 20 years or so. Leprosy moves slow, but year after year it gets worse and worse and worse. And here we are, this man is finally full of leprosy. We don't know how long he had leprosy, but it was probably upwards of 20 years. 20 years, perhaps, he's never been touched, he's lived outside of society, entirely untouchable, an an outcast, without God and without hope in the world, and in an act, really, of total vulnerability, he he has had enough. He's at the bottom, and now he sees his opportunity. Here is Jesus, he's heard about him by the hearing of the ear, there is a man in town, everyone's saying he's the Messiah, and listen to what he's doing. You know, they're probably yelling at the leper from 50 paces away, telling him what's happening. And the leper says, when I get my chance, I'm going to Jesus. I'm going to him. And in an act of total vulnerability, he throws himself into the dust. And he pleads with Jesus to heal him. All of his integrity, all of his dignity is thrown out the window. And you know, just making a parallel, that is what it takes to come to Jesus. So many of us, when we came to the Lord, it was not our finest hour. We were at the bottom. All of our dignity was out the window. Our, Our thoughts of what other people might think had finally gone away. And we were able to come to Jesus. We finally saw our need for him. And the parallel is really dramatic. I mean, spiritual leprosy is what sin is. And we were living our lives thinking that we were fine and had no idea that we were spiritually dead. Until finally the lights come on and we see our condition is terrible and we need a remedy. And we hear there is a man who can heal us of our ailments. We hear that there's a man who can save us. And so, there in the bottom of it all, at the bottom of our lives, there with all hope and dignity essentially gone, we're finally ready to come to Jesus. And I will tell you, if you are here and you've been coming to Calvary for 10, 15 years, or maybe one year or six months, and you have not come to Jesus, you're still questioning His willingness and His ability to save sinners, you know what's keeping you from coming to Christ? It's your own pride. Those who are well have no need of a physician. Jesus came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. Until you see the darkness, the spiritual leprosy of your own heart, you will never come to Him. So I would encourage you, pray that God would help you to see your plight, your condition. And then you, like this leper, will run to Him and you'll find that he is not only able, but willing to save sinners. I found that. Everyone here has found that. You, you can find it too. 
I got off track of my notes. Well, here he is at the bottom. Jesus doesn't have to touch him, but he does. And with that touch, one touch, the man is completely healed. And the extraordinary kindness of Jesus towards the lowest of humanity is forever enshrined in these six verses. We see by this touch, we see the unbounded kindness of Jesus towards the vilest sinners. And what Jesus does is absolutely shocking. To touch a leper would have made the normal man unclean, according to Leviticus 5.3. But not Jesus. Jesus is able to touch the vilest sinner and remain unstained by their sin. Jesus is not worried about getting the contagion of leprosy. He's not worried about that. Why? Well, perhaps because he's been in prayer and his confidence in God is soaring and he knows that he can't get anything without the Father's permission. So why fear a cold? Why fear leprosy? when my Father is the one who dictates all of this. So here is Jesus with absolute boldness and compassion. No fear. Everyone else is backing away. And Jesus does the unthinkable. And look at the end of verse 41. Jesus addresses the leper's plea. He addresses the leper's doubt, his question. He says, I am willing. Be cleansed. Doubt no more, my friend. My willingness is far greater than you even know. And here he goes. He touches the man and he meets his greatest need. And then in verse 42, we see that immediately the leprosy left him and he was cleansed. Now you've got to envision this. You could see, touch, smell, even taste the leper's presence. And the text says, immediately the leprosy left this man and he was cleansed. So it would have been a remarkable sight. It was instantaneous and would have been obvious for everyone there. Everyone would have been able to see before their own eyes a transformation of a leper that was inexplicable apart from the divine hand of God. Scales began to fall off. Sores begin to heal. The furrows in his swollen face are smoothed. Limbs begin to grow back. His voice returns to normal. The stench that once signaled his presence is now gone. Everything that once defined him, that made him simply a leper as his identity, all at once, it was all gone And the man was fully restored. Talk about a picture of the gospel. What what defined this man in verse 40? Remember, he's not called a man with leprosy in verse 40. He's called a leper. That's his identity. That's who he is. But all at once, there's an identity change. He's no longer a leper. He's restored. And that is what Jesus does. He comes to the vilest offender who truly believes and he touches them, restores them. And in that moment, all the things that you identified with before, all the things that characterized you before are gone. 
You are now new in Christ. There's much I could say about that, but let's keep going. We see in verse 43 that there was more that needed to happen with this leper before his healing would be complete. Physically, he was healed immediately. But Jesus not only took care of his physical condition, but he wanted him to follow the proper procedures and become become ceremonially clean again. So according to the Jewish law, this man was still not permitted, even though he had been cleansed of leprosy, he would still not have been permitted to go in and out among the crowds because he had not followed the Levitical requirements of a cleansed leper. That's Leviticus 14, if you want some light reading this afternoon. Leviticus 14. And so Jesus gives this man a clear directive. Uh, Look at verse 43, although it's preceded by a strong warning. He sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone. That's quite a prohibition. Maybe a couple of decades as a leper. And now Jesus says, Don't say a word to anybody about this. We want to, I mean, it's understandable that he doesn't follow that in one sense. But Jesus says, Go show yourself, verse 43. To the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. Jesus prohibits the man from going out immediately and broadcasting what has happened. Probably because he wants to avoid all the superficial hype about his his healing ministry. Remember, we just saw in verse 38, Jesus didn't come to heal lepers. What did he come to do? Verse 38. He came to preach. Healing, miracles, all of that, those were signs that authenticated his message of true pardon, of true forgiveness through his life and death. So then he gives him a clear directive. Go show yourself to the priest. Offer yourself for the cleansing what Moses commanded. The man, in order to be considered fully restored, needed to follow the proper channels of Leviticus 14, which would require him to clean his clothes, shave his hair, perform a ritual cleansing, and offer appropriate sacrifices to God for the healing. Now, Jesus healed him immediately, but he was probably wearing rags. His hair would have been long. His beard would have been long. Um, He needed to go through the channels so that he could be restored to society. And then look at the end of verse 44. Jesus says, do this as a testimony to them. I'm talking about the priests. Go show yourself to them, follow the rituals, as a testimony to them. Meaning that the priests who would oversee the ceremonial aspects of this man's cleansing, they would see that what had happened to this leper was 100% authentic. Something extraordinary happened to this man, and the testimony of the leper would authenticate Jesus to the priesthood that Jesus truly was the promised Messiah. The directive also showed that Jesus was not here to shuck the law. Right? He wasn't trying to just throw off the law. Actually, he follows the law. He upholds the law perfectly. Now, all of that, all of that we just walked through, All of that proves 
Jesus' willingness to meet the leper's need, doesn't it? I mean, it, it, it's an open and shut case. There's no question anymore about Jesus' willingness. Jesus' desire, though, for this man extends beyond mere physical healing into the full restoration of the leper back into society. No one who was there could have looked at Jesus and said, yeah, he's able, but I just don't know if he's willing still. No. It was clearly demonstrated. But notice point number three, the leper's response. Notice the leper's response in verse 44. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around. That's just the opposite of what Jesus instructed him to do. Now, as, as I said, that's, it's in one sense understandable. How was, how was he to keep quiet about that? It doesn't matter. What were his instructions? What did Jesus say? Don't say a word. Now, he is in Galilee, so to travel, he would have had to travel all the way to Jerusalem to present himself before the priest. That's about a hundred mile walk. Now, you're thinking, well, I don't want to walk that either. I'm there with you. Um, but this was a normal way of life in this society. And Jesus' instructions were thorough, clear, and his restriction of him opening his mouth and telling anyone was absolutely clear. It's always true that the test of genuine faith is obedience, right? You want to know if you have true faith? Are you really obeying the Lord? And this man, in a tragic stroke of disobedience, seems to prove that despite Jesus' kindness to him, he had no real interest in Jesus. It's really sad. His initial humility and his earnestness was now disfigured into a, a disregard for Jesus' instruction. And so he disobeys Jesus, and then look at the result. What results from his disobedience? Verse 45, he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent, here's the result, that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. That's the result of Jesus' willingness. The leper is free. As a bird. He's out of his cage. And he's soaring around, really. Uh, and the text says that. He began to proclaim freely. All of a sudden, he can do what he hasn't been able to do. And he goes around and he's proclaiming, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed. And all the while, he's proclaiming his faithlessness in Jesus. As a result, Jesus' popularity skyrockets. And then he is forced, according to the text, to stay out in unpopulated areas because of the frenzy of the crowd. Now, if you have not seen anything in this text so far this morning, and it seems like you have, but if you haven't, you need to see this. I want you to see that there is a major irony in this passage, and it's very powerful. Okay, before Jesus healed this man, 
Jesus was going about freely from town to town preaching the good news of the gospel. The leper, on the other hand, was an outsider. Bound, forced to live in isolation in unpopulated areas, to be away from the crowds. But afterwards, the result of Jesus' willingness to heal this man freed him, but forced Jesus where? In unpopulated, desolate areas. Jesus trades places with this man. Do you see that? He trades places with him. Before Jesus healed the man, Jesus was free to go around. But now, he's forced outside of society into desolate places. Now we see, of course, of course verse 45, that people were throcking to him still, right? They were still going to him. But this is a striking reversal. It's a striking piece of irony in Mark 1. That Jesus trades places with this leper. And this really is a microcosm, a small picture of our redemption. The leper before was cursed to live in isolation, without hope, without God in the world, outside the camp. And we've seen that that's what sin does. Sin isolates us, it cuts us off from God, it cuts us off from all hope, it plagues us and eats away at us like a bacterial infection from the inside out until we are mangled and deformed. But unlike leprosy, sin merits the righteous anger and judgment of God. And that's where we all live, outside of Christ. Before Christ's gracious touch, we are without God, without hope in the world. And friends, you know that's where we would stay were it not for Jesus' ability and His willingness. And I, I want to show you that there is nothing more that Jesus can do for you to convince you that He's able and willing than He's already done for you. There's nothing more He can do. He's done it all. It's all been settled. The leper's freedom was purchased by the sacrifice of Jesus. So too, the sinner's freedom is purchased by Jesus' sacrifice and substitution and trade-off. Turn with me to Isaiah 53. We've already read the text, but I want to point out a couple of things in the last few minutes we have together. If you think that Jesus' demonstration of compassion to this leper is powerful, friends, it pales in comparison to the ultimate demonstration of Jesus' compassion and trade-off for sinners. No text captures the compassion and love and ability and willingness of Jesus like Isaiah 53. I want to start reading actually in verse 13 of chapter 52. Behold my servant. Now what's the theme of the gospel of Mark? It's Jesus the servant. I've tried to show you throughout chapter 1 that what Mark is doing is he's showing that Jesus really is the Messiah and the suffering servant that the book of Isaiah foretold. 
And we're going to see that over and over and over again. It's going to be wonderful. But here, this is the culmination of the servant's work in the book of Isaiah. It's the culminating servant song. Behold, my servant will prosper. He will be highly exalted and lifted up and greatly exalted. Just as many were astonished at you, my people, so his appearance was marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. Thus he will sprinkle many nations. Kings will shut their mouths on account of him. For what had not been told them they will see, and what they had not heard they will understand. Who has believed our message? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he, that's Jesus, grew up before him like a tender shoot, and like a root out of parched ground. He has no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And like one from whom men hid their face. Keep at least 50 feet from us. He was despised and we did not esteem him. And notice verse 4. Surely our griefs he himself bore. And our sorrows he carried. Yet we ourselves esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. What he's saying here is that Jesus came and He bore, He traded places with us. He bears our griefs and sorrows He carries to the cross. And we, speaking of the Jewish people, we looked at Him and said, oh, He is cursed and smitten of God. Verse 5, we didn't realize what was happening. He was pierced through for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. He traded places with us. The chastening for our well-being fell upon Him. And by His scourging we are healed. Who should have been scourged? He trades places with us. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us have turned to His own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall upon Him. The punishment you deserve falls upon Him. A lifetime of crimes against God. You've been running that credit card your whole life. And the debt has to be paid, friend. And this passage tells us that Jesus paid it for you. He takes the debt. You deserved to die but he trades places with you. Verse 7, he was oppressed and he was afflicted. Yet he did not open his mouth like a lamb that is led to slaughter and like a sheep that is silent before its shearers. So he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment, he was taken away. And as for his generation, who, who even considered this? Who considered that he was cut off from the land of the living for the transgression of my people, to whom the stroke was due. We n- none of us saw that. We missed it. That's what Isaiah is saying. Friend, so many of you have not missed that. You've seen it. 
Right? You have come to Jesus in the pits. You've come to Jesus. You've seen. You have nothing to bring except your own spiritual leprosy. And Jesus has taken the stroke for you. But some of you have not done that. Some of you are still bearing the weight of your own guilt on your shoulders. And friends, you don't have to do that. You don't have to live that way. If you would come to Jesus, you know what He does? He would trade places with you. He would take your debt and set you free. Look at verse 9. His grave was assigned with wicked men, yet he was with a rich man in his death because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Verse 10. But the Lord was pleased to crush him, putting him to grief. If he would render himself as a guilt offering. The Lord was pleased to do this. The Father was pleased to crush the Son if the Son would trade places with the guilty. He will see His offspring and He will prolong His days. And notice the next phrase. And the good pleasure of the Lord will prosper in His hand. As a result of the anguish of his soul. He's traded places with sinners. As a result of the anguish of his soul, he, the Father, will see it and be satisfied. By his knowledge, the righteous one, Jesus, my servant, will justify the many as he will bear their iniquities. He will trade places with them. And he will justify them if they come to Him by faith, He will declare them to be what they are not. Clean. Forgiven. Therefore, verse 12, I will allot Him a portion with the great. This is the Father speaking. And He will divide the booty with the strong because He poured out Himself to death. He didn't deserve to die. He was numbered with the transgressors. Yet He Himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. I love the way I think the ESV says, He Himself bore the sin of many and intercedes for transgressors. He intercedes, not for the non-leprous. He doesn't intercede for the people who have it all together. He doesn't intercede for the, perp- the people who have no need of His intercession. Verse 12, who does He intercede for? transgressors you think he won't intercede for you friend he will this is what he does i mean this is why we love him because we're all transgressors all of us and we love jesus because he ever lives to make intercession for us and he will for you if you come to him lay down your pride submit to him friend and church there is nothing more that Jesus can do to demonstrate His willingness than what He has already done. In His willingness, He left the glories of heaven to trade places with sinners like you and me. And in His power, He accomplished a perfect redemption. Hebrews 7.25 says that He is able to save somewhat. No, no. He is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to Him 
rather, sorry, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him. The question, friend, is have you drawn near to God through him? If you stay in the desolate places, you will die in the desolate places. But if you see that he's willing and able and come to him, if you lay off your questioning of his willingness, if you look to the proof of his willingness, you will find that the result of his willingness for you is eternal bliss that starts now. And you will be set free, you'll be transformed to live in newness of life. That's my prayer. That's my prayer for you. Let's pray. Father, you are so good. And we have only waded ankle deep into the ocean of your goodness. And Lord, we confess that we have so far to go to understand the height and the depth and the breadth and your love to us in Christ Jesus. So our prayer, Lord, is that you would take this text, that you would apply it by your Spirit to our hearts this morning. Father, that we would see, as the hymn writer said, that he is willing doubt no more. Father, that we would rise and come to Christ. Any here who have not done so would see him as the ever omni-compassionate, Savior of sinners, and they would flee to Him. And Father, I pray that Your people here this morning would live this week with an ever-increasing confidence in Your abundant compassion and in Your willingness and in Your ability to save to the uttermost those who draw near to You through Your Son. And it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.